What happens when God gets a hold of a guy from the U.S. while he's in Asia? We're going to talk about that and more. This is the Engaging Missions Show, Episode 189, with Rick Priato. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Thanks for joining us. We want to provide a way for thousands of people to hear a message, make a connection, and take action. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, you can do that by visiting engagingmissions.com slash subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And if you've been subscribed for a while, it'd be great if you could leave a rating and review in iTunes or Google Play Podcasts so that other people can find the show and know if it's right for them. This week, we're going to be talking about how a trip to Asia and what our guest saw in national leaders changed the direction of his life. We're also going to talk about the importance of relationships and obedience. We're going to check in with Brian Hogan as he and his family are preparing to enter Mongolia. And we're also going to have some resources for you as you encounter Muslims and want to share God's love and life with them. We also have for you two ways that you can be involved with the show, and I'm going to talk about those right now. First off, we have an opportunity for you to help shape the content for an upcoming series on short-term missions. I'm looking for your input as we're trying to put together an incredibly powerful series on short-term missions. If you visit engagingmissions.com slash STM, that's for short-term missions, I have a way that you can share your input so that we can build something really valuable. I also have an opportunity for you to help me create an upcoming episode. Every week, I ask my guests things like favorite verses, meaningful scriptures, things like that, and I'd like to hear from you about a scripture or a passage or a story from the Bible that's meaningful to you. If you visit engagingmissions.com slash favorite verse, I'm looking for your input as we put together something based on what you and the other people who listen to the show share so that we can hear from you. That's engagingmissions.com slash favorite verse. All right, let's get started. Today, I am so excited to have with me Rick Priado. Rick spent a few months as part of a church planning team in South Asia, and while he was there, he saw national leaders empowered to dream and to pray big for their country. That radically changed the direction of his life. Now he's an intern serving in the missions department of a local church in Gainesville, Florida, and at the same time, he's working to train and mobilize people from all walks of life to make disciples who make disciples. So, Rick, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian. It's an honor to be here. Oh, it is totally a privilege to have you on here. And as we were talking before before we started recording, you mentioned that you've got some stuff coming up that you're going into right now. And I'm wondering, would you mind sharing a little bit about what, what's going on right now, where you're headed, all of the stuff that's going on with that? Sure. Recently, my heart has just been really burdened to pray specifically that God would be raising up people from the Latino community to take the gospel where it's never been before. And an opportunity came up to train some leaders in South America and Peru. So I'm just about to get on a flight here after this call, and we're going to go see if we can equip and mobilize some of these leaders to go finish the task of bringing the gospel to the unreached people groups that are left there in Peru, and then pray that some of these leaders are raised up to go even overseas to places that are further unreached. 
Well, that's great. And, you know, I guess I should mention at the outset, Rick is kind of sitting where there's a little bit of noise right now. So if you hear that in the background, that's just Rick walking in his calling as he's doing this and also taking a minute to talk with us. Now, Rick, let's let's talk a little bit about this time in South Asia. As I mentioned, I don't want to really break any confidences or anything like that, but I'm wondering, can you share a little bit more about what you saw while you were there and then how that shaped the direction of your life? Yeah, I'll give a, a little bit of backstory to how I ended up there if I could. Yeah. I I really started to get a heart for foreign missions while I was a high school student in South Florida and didn't really know what that looked like. So I started praying and asking God where I should go. And I felt like he told me to go on vacation and uh, I wasn't really sure why. (laughs) (laughs) So I I took a vacation and went to a whole bunch of national parks in the U.S., just packed up a truck and went with some friends. And I remember being on the side of this mountain in the state of Washington and I was looking out over all these other mountains and asking God what he wanted me to do. And I remember him just speaking really clearly to me and saying, there are mountains that are 10 times this size and people there don't know to praise me for it unless you go. So for mm-hmm. me, I felt I just felt a really distinct call at that point to go to, I guess, just some big mountains <laughs> and proclaim the gospel. So I, I started you know, researching a little bit, okay, what would that look like? And you know, found in, in South Asia that, that there was some opportunity to go be a part of a small team that was, that was doing training there. So I kind of just jumped on board. And God just totally revolutionized my world when it came to church and training and discipleship as a whole. Yeah, that was kind of the start of, of what became a transformational period in my life. Well, that, that's great. So you got to South Asia, that sort of started it. But I think that there were some things that you saw while you were there. In particular, I think maybe some stuff with the national leaders. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yes, absolutely. So I remember walking into this really tiny church in a capital city in one of the areas I was in. And this there's this pastor there, really small guy, really humble guy, kind of a, a quiet voice. And after his church service, he took me into his office and pointed to a map that was on the wall. And he started circling an area on this map with his finger. And he told me, we are maybe two or three months from everybody in this entire region hearing the gospel and having an opportunity to follow Jesus. And, and you know, this man was just, it was just a normal guy. And, and I, I looked at him and said, I have never heard anything like that in my life. And, and so, so over the course of the few months that I was there, I got to see a little bit of, of what the Holy Spirit was doing through this, this man and his network and all these other key leaders in this country. And, and man, I, I got to meet some of the people that, you know, he was circling with his finger on the map. And just to see God, God working in each of their lives and in the same way, working to reach that entire people group and that entire you know, geographical area, it, it just blew my mind. I had never seen anything like that before. So, And, and I'm, I'm imagining that when you did that, that probably really impacted your life, maybe changed the direction. I, I know that you've actually said that it changed some of the direction of your life. How did yeah. seeing that empower you then to move from where you were to where you're headed now? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a great question. So, so being there, I thought it was going to be 20 years of, you know, like really hardcore training before I could be somebody that could even confidently share the gospel or or make a disciple, even just to obey Jesus' command to go make disciples. And I saw there people that were days old as believers, and, and they were out just passionately giving their lives to share the gospel with their families even under the threat of their own lives. And and for me just to just to see that, to see local people just empowered to be the people God had called them to be, to embrace their identity, even as Jesus ambassadors to their own families. And what it cost some of them, for me, that was really marking. And so, so my first step, I think, 
from that was just realizing, man, I am an ambassador for Jesus. And I just had never thought of myself in that light before I saw all these people empowered to do it. How has that shift of seeing yourself as an ambassador then changed how you interact with people, how you interact with the word, how you interact with God? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a, it, was a, it was a slower process, I think, than I'd like to admit. But, <laughs> but when I came back to the States, my initial response was, man, I can't wait to go back and do this you know, again, among the unreached peoples of the world. And, and I think I might have missed the boat for a while that I could be that person here with my friends, with my family, and, and even in my community and in, in the place that I lived. And so, so I mean, I, I remember one story of just getting like three people on this tiny little motorcycle going up into, into a village. And we stopped by this, this little church and did a training and just taught them how to share their, their testimony and taught these believers how to share the gospel. And we did so many of those trainings over the course of the month. I, I, I had basically drilled it into my own brain. And so when I got back to the U.S., it was like I had been soaked in, okay, share your testimony, share the gospel. Mm-hmm. And it's just funny. My initial thought was, I can't wait to go do that somewhere else again. And so, so I was like, God, what do I do now? And, and I think God maybe chuckled a little bit because he, he kind of showed me, Rick, I just showed you for several months, you know, what, what you're supposed to start mm-hmm. doing. So anyway, a few months after I, I had gotten back, I just began to share. I just began to share in my community, hey, this is what Jesus has done in my life. And, and slowly but surely, God began to soften my heart as I stepped out in obedience in that way. And I just, I just noticed a, a real deepening of my relationship with God and a dependence on Him that I had never had before. And, that, and it started to develop, you know, the, the joy and the closeness with Jesus came as I abided in Him and started to step out in obedience in those ways. Wow, that, that's great. So as you're talking about abiding and obedience, I'm also thinking about this, the scriptures. You know, you, you need to know the scriptures in order to obey them. Are there any meaningful scriptures that have been really foundational to what God's been doing in your life recently? Mm, that's a great question. I think, I think at that point, the scripture that had begun to, to really mark me was when Jesus says, you know, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And, you know, I had, I had grown up in an environment where following Jesus meant if I was going to do it for real, I had, you know, I was going to become a pastor. And so I would do whatever it takes to become a pastor. And, and, and really to, so I think I had the following part of, of it in my head as important, but never did I think I would fish for men until I was a professional. And, and just to, to see Jesus say, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, follow and fish that, that kind of principle was somewhere inside of me, but it started to come out when I obeyed. And I, and I think more recently, I, I've just, I've come to agree with Paul and, and pray that I could be like him, where he says, you know, we were pleased not only to share the gospel of God, but our own lives with you. And so as I've stepped out and, and started obeying Jesus and sharing the gospel and discipling people that are, that are turning to him, I, I realize I am much more willing to share my own life with the people who are becoming disciples of Jesus. So for me, I think I, there was kind of a shift in my heart that had to happen where I was just willing to, to fish for men. And then now, you know, I think I, I want to be more and more pouring out my, my very life, you know, for the people that, you know, that are, that are coming to know Jesus. Can, can you share a little bit more about this sharing your life with people, what you mean when you say that, and then how you're fleshing that out right now? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll share a story to illustrate that. Yeah. I have, I have two roommates right now and we started out, you know, they, they moved into my apartment and these two guys, we did not get along very well. We're all from pretty different backgrounds. So, you know, 
some of us had different preferences for, you know, cleaning or, you know, dishes, things like that. And it was just a really, really rocky roommate situation. And so, so I was just kind of frustrated and distanced myself from these guys that I was, that I was living with. I think wrongfully so for sure. But slowly but surely over the past maybe eight or nine months, these guys and I have just started to share the gospel together and pray for the people in our lives who are far from God. And it's incredible the way that our house has become a place of prayer and a place of unity and a place where, man, because we're on mission together, there's just there's nothing that we let get in the way of that. So, so for me, I felt like I started to train these my two roommates and some of the things I was learning. And, you know, at some point, it just kind of shifted from that to, man, I'm, I would be willing to die for these brothers, you know, that brotherhood that really wasn't there. They were just kind of paying rent alongside me. It really does feel like a, an incredible bond with these guys as we're living on mission together. Wow, that, that's really powerful. With that, we are going to need to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to shift our focus a little bit more toward the ministry. I'd like to take just a minute to tell you about another podcast that I think that you should check out. If you enjoy the Engaging Missions show, you definitely want to check out the Foundational Missions Leadership Moment with Scott McClelland. He's been a guest on the show, he's a friend of the show, and he's just recently finished up a series where he was on location in Thailand talking with some missionaries there about leadership. I thought it was a really, really interesting discussion. You can check that out at fxmissions.com. I think it's worth your time to at least give it a second to check it out. All right, we're back with Rick Priato. We've been talking with him about some of the things that God's done over the last few months in terms of bringing relationships together, being able to share their lives. Now, as we shift toward the more focus on the ministry, I kind of want to key in on that. And we're going to take that and see kind of how that applies to church planting. So, Rick, as you think about your relationship and building relationships, how important are relationships when you want to see movements of people coming to Christ? Yeah, I think I think they're more than important. I think they're they're absolutely necessary. I remember, you know, when I had got back from my my brief trip to South Asia, I had tasted what God was doing in in a place that was very far away. And so when I came back, I felt like I had a I had a memory, I had an experience that I couldn't share with anybody. And I remember just a little bit of feeling alone as I had started to share, as I had started to step out in obedience. And so what I did was I, I just spent time just burying my face in the scriptures and, and, and seeking, you know, seeking out, okay, God, what is your plan to reach the nations? Have you shown us already in the scriptures? And as I started to discover that, I just began to ask God, Lord, will you bring me somebody to teach me these things, to mentor me? I met a guy named Troy Cooper, who is from, you know, maybe two towns over from me in South Florida is, is where he lives now. And, and just even over the past six or seven months, God has just blessed me with a mentor like him. And so, so what I'm seeing is I was beginning to gain all this knowledge from the scriptures and a little bit of experience, but now I had started to catch things from somebody that was mentoring me and, and teaching me in these things. And so to see somebody go after these same things as me with, you know, with the humility of somebody like him has really just transformed the way that I'm approaching, you know, church planting movements or disciple making in general, even the Lord as, 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 you know, as that relates to, to my relationship with God, just the importance of having a mentor like that. It's just been really key for me. Well, that's that's really great. And as I'm thinking about your your life and your ministry, I know that you're working as an intern in a missions department, and then you're also making disciples. Are there any ways that you're able to sort of bridge the gap between those two to find synergies between them and also balance out any potential tensions? Hmm. 
Yeah, it, it is. It is really interesting. I I just a hundred percent believe that that the church, it, God's church, God's bride, is the answer to finishing His task. And I think to separate the two of those things is a big mistake for either either piece of that. And so, so for me, I, I'm a I'm a part of a church that's really passionate about making disciples and really willing to step out and in faith obey what God has asked us to do as a people. And so to bridge the world of, of, you know, overseas church planting movements, which seems from a, an American perspective, maybe a, a really, a really distant mm. idea to see that bridged with a, a local body who's just loving to step out and make disciples. There's almost, it's just this beautiful picture of Jesus loving his bride into obedience and so I'm, I'm just honored to be a part of the local church I'm at as, a, as an intern. You know, you know I'm, a, I'm a young guy. I'm just not a pastor, not, not much of a leader as far as position in the church. But God uses, I think, the obedience of the lay people to stir up the hearts of everybody, even in the local church. So to be a part of that is, is pretty exciting. It's great that you're able to be in a church that is called in the similar direction, even in, as it relates to missions and things like that. What would you share with somebody who's yeah. feels called to a church body that doesn't necessarily feel called in this direction and they sort of do. And so they're walking in tension. Wow. Yeah. That, that tension is really hard to manage. And, I, and I've been in that spot before. And, and I think the, the reality is one is we obey, we obey Jesus. You know, I think, you know, if, if God says, go make disciples, make disciples, you know, make disciples, obey Jesus before you obey anybody. And, and I think the, the other side of that is, man, we like, we, we need to have a, a, a bond of unity and peace within the church. And so, so do that, obey Jesus, but do it with humility. You know, I think anybody that, that steps out, even, even doing things like, like sharing the gospel, making disciples, you know, teaching people to obey Jesus and follow his commands. Those things done out of love, outside of love, are, are almost, almost wasted. You know, Paul says we rejoice whether the gospel is proclaimed out of rivalry or not. But for me, in my heart, I, I never want to obey Jesus out of rivalry. I want to always do it out of love for those. That's good. And, you know, I guess kind of just taking that tension thing one step further, I feel like sometimes when I hear about people that talk about the discipleship movements, that some people maybe feel that they're a little bit light on understanding the word, that, you know, they're really heavy on obeying a few things, but maybe not digging into stuff. I don't think that's necessarily the case. So can you share a little bit about how your obedience to Christ actually leads you toward more time in the word? Yeah, I think for me, it started with desperation. I got to a point where the more I started to attempt to obey Jesus, the more I realized how much I do come up short, even even as somebody who, who claims to follow Jesus and, and live, you know, walking in step with the Spirit. So for me, I got to a point where I was like, I, God, I need you so bad even to obey you in the simple things. And so so from that place of desperation, you know, I, I, I think there was a point in my life where I was where I was reading the scriptures and praying out of obligation, out of feeling like that's just what a good Christian did. And as that tied in with obeying, man, I just, like, my heart was shifted from, to man, God, I need you so badly. Holy Spirit, I, I just need you so badly. Because without it, I can't obey you. And, and the more I step out, the more I'm realizing that. So I needed to know the scriptures really deeply. I needed to have that abiding with Jesus that only comes when, when the, you know, the scriptures are written on my heart. I needed to walk in purity. And, you know, Psalm says, how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? And so, so, so that need developed in me to the point where, man, I'm, I'm willing to, to read this thing front to back a hundred times if it, 
if it drives me closer to obeying him. And how does that knowledge then transfer and into the importance of teaching people to obey and how that's different from just teaching people about Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll just, I'll just share a really practical thing that that we do. We have a, I have a discipleship group that just meets in my home and we, we try to obey Jesus together. And so every time we go through scripture as a, as a group or as a team, you know, we're ending every time we get new knowledge, we're ending with, man, God, how can I obey you this week because of that? So, so we'll just, we'll just set some goals every week. And the first one is how can we obey Jesus from what we just read? The second one is how are we going to abide this week? The third people is the third one is how are we going to train? Like, how are we going to share and pass this on what we're hearing from the scriptures? And the fourth one is who are we going to share the gospel with? this week. So at, at that time, we will actually pull out a list of people we know who are far from God and begin to pray for them and ask, okay, God, who do you want me to share with this week? And so every time that we approach the scriptures, we want to walk away with something to obey. So that's, that's just one example of how we do that as a, as a team here in Gainesville. That's good. And I guess that leads us then to the discussion about discipleship, how important it is to disciple people. But I think that what you're doing is also somewhat about multiplying leaders, if you will. How is that different from just discipleship? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's a great question. I think, I think when, it comes to, when it comes to leadership development, you, you, take, you take disciples that are bearing fruit and you just give the kingdom away to people that are obeying. And so when it comes to obey Jesus, to obeying Jesus, we want to do that in, in every way that he commands. And when it comes to multiplying leaders, it really is about handing over authority to people that are, that are faithful and that are humble. And so looking for those, even in, even in our own team, we're looking for the doers as we train. We're looking for the people that will step out in obedience. And then we want to see them raised up. We want to see them, you know, know who they are in Christ and have the identity. And so, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of different leadership tools and the tools are going to change. But I, I think the principle is this, if you don't raise up leaders, your ministry ends with you. And so for me, like when I, if I, if I were to die tomorrow, you know, or, or I were to, I were to be taken out of the game tomorrow, I don't want the work even in Gainesville to stop. And so if I'm not handing over authority to the faithful who are with me, even to the team that's around me, I'm missing out on a huge, huge portion of what God wants to do. And the reality is I can't, I can't complete the task on my own. And the more I realize that, the more I'm eager to hand off leadership and hand off authority to others. Well, that, that's a really good word and a really good reminder that if we're not passing on leadership, then whatever we have, whatever God's called us to, potentially dies with us. When, when you're doing that, I would imagine that yeah. sometimes you, you have people that pick it up and they really run with it, and other times maybe people that kind of break your heart. How do you keep going when things mm. are tough, when your heart starts to break? Mm. That's a great question. I was, I was actually reading this morning about when you know, Paul is in his ministry and he, he parts ways with John Mark, and, and it, seems, it seems like really, really harsh to me when I read it at first. And, and then I, I realized that, that Paul's eyes were set on the lost. You know, Paul's eyes were set on the task that God had called him to. And, and he, was, he was willing to hand off authority to anybody that was, that was faithful and that was, you know, willing to come alongside him and learn. And so, so for me, I think the, the hard part is, is I want to want it for other people. Does that make sense? Yeah. I want to want people to, to obey Jesus. And, and I can't, you know, I can't want it for them. They have to want it for themselves. And so, so even seeing what what Jesus did in scripture, how he, he kind of filtered for the faithful few, you know, he didn't spend all his time with the 5,000 or the 4,000 and the 500, but he had his, he had his team of, of, of the faithful few and believed that if he discipled them, if he gave them all that he had, they would carry it way beyond what he could do 
even in his time here on earth and and, and he even handed over that authority so so there was a there was a shift for me when I started really looking at the gospels in a in a fresh way where I I need to see Jesus as my strategist, you know, as, as a model for somebody who set up how the kingdom's going to come to earth. And so even some of the things we, we see in the parables, but, but a lot of it, just looking at what Jesus did and believing, you know, that, that those are, that's just how the kingdom works. Wow. I'm, I'm just, I'm kind of, I'm not sure where to take it from that. Can you maybe share a little bit more about what it means to see Jesus in that way? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I, I really want to get to a place where I am chewing on 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 God's word to the point where I can I can like smell the kingdom. That's that's kind of a, a word that I'm throwing around when I'm praying. Like God, I want to be able to to smell your kingdom, or you know, really sense when something is is a part of your kingdom. And so so just draw, drawing things from the parables and seeing how Jesus actually acted those out. And and you know, I'm thinking specifically about. Even the parable of the sower, where where Jesus is, you know, he's casting seed, and you know, he talks about the sower who's casting seed, and he's just kind of throwing it wildly, and he talks about the different kinds of soil, and 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 I'm thinking about that, and looking about in Jesus' ministry how he even did that, like when when he, when he would go proclaim the kingdom, he would sow so broadly, and then he would take the faithful ones, and and invest in those, and so for me, I want to invest in the fourth soil leaders. You know, the the good mm-hmm. soil that are going to take it and, and reproduce it thirty, sixty, a hundredfold. So, and it is it, it, it discipleship kind of shifted in my mind from man, I want to convince people to follow Jesus to I want to find the people that God has prepared. That, that's really good. As you were sharing the thing about knowing what Jesus smells like or what the kingdom smells like, that reminds me of the prayer for my kids when they were really, really young, especially my daughter when she was you know, recently born. Our prayer was that God's presence in our home would be familiar enough to her that she'd know what it felt like so that when something came along mm-hmm. claiming to be God-like, in her life, you know, some, you know, 10, 15 years down the road, she'd go, "Eh, that kind of makes sense, but it doesn't feel right. Cause we wanted her to feel what the kingdom, right. I mean, cause there's this spiritual thing where you go, that feels like God and other things. They, I mean, honestly, they might look great, but they kind of feel icky. And so I wanted her to have that understanding. As you think about the last couple of years, I'm wondering, is there anything that God's done that has really surprised you? Yes, absolutely. I think I think seeing disciple-making movement principles work in the United mm. States, like in the place where I grew up, never seemed like a, a reality to me, especially when I was overseas and my mind was blown with everything I was seeing. And then to come back and, and just see like, man, if, if this is really in the scriptures, it's everywhere. And so to see those start to play out, to see people really embrace their identity, to see leaders raised up, you know, to see people gather together as disciples and just get really excited about, you know, following Jesus. You know, I think we see traces of that, but to, to really see it played out in front of me, I thought I was going to have to wait until I went overseas. And the reality is, if it is God's plan, it works regardless of where we are. Wow, that's good. With that, we are going to take one more quick break. And when we come back, we're going to shift our focus one more time more toward our listeners. Here's a taste of what's coming up on the Engaging Mission Show. You know, when we think about helping in Haiti and um, just the unsurmountable needs in a nation that has little to no infrastructure, when I initially began going down to Haiti, honestly, 
we looked around and, and thought to ourselves, where do we begin? And God had provided for us just wonderful partners and volunteers. And it, honestly, we didn't know how we were going to be able to have enough to be able to give out to the thousands of, of orphans and school children. And we had donations pour in to the amount that we didn't even have the capacity to take it all down. We had to partner with some other churches and ministries to be able to get all of the gifts, all of the we were working on a backpack project at that point, and we had to actually share some with other ministries in order to get it all there. So it was just supernaturally. We've seen God just open doors and just pour out gifts as we needed it, not only the gifts themselves, but also with finances. If you enjoyed that, you won't want to miss a single episode of the Engaging Mission Show. Subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher to have it delivered automatically. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. That's engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. All right, we're back with Rick Priato. We've been talking with him about some of the amazing things that God's done in his life and has been showing him recently in the last few months or so. Now we're shifting our focus more toward you as the listener. So, Rick, if you were talking with somebody and maybe sharing, you know, as they were sharing with you, maybe they were feeling stuck or in either business or ministry, maybe starting to wonder if what they do really matters, what would you share with them? Hmm. I, I would share with them this. Every time I've... I've stepped out in obedience, whether it is delayed or immediate, there is joy that comes with it. And I think only through abiding in my time and spending hours with God and and sometimes pulling away, can I have my vision just kind of refreshed for what I feel like God wants me to do and really, really believing that if I'm obeying him, that is, that is enough. And my reward is him alone. And, And I think when, when we get to that point where it's enough that we're with God and obeying Him and following Him, that's when God can begin to use us in powerful ways. That, that's good. And you mentioned God using us in powerful ways. I think that maybe sometimes we tend to miss things. We, you know, we're miss, missing ministry opportunities because maybe we're looking for something and missing the, the things that are right in front of us. Are there ministry opportunities that you see that people commonly miss? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think I think this one one thing that I missed for a long time was was ministry opportunities within my own family. I really believe that especially in an individualistic culture, kind of like, you know, in the American culture, I've I've missed a lot of opportunities within my own household to do to do ministry, like to to pour into, uh, you know, someone like my younger brother or really believe that my family could be on mission together. And so I'm, I'm a single guy with, you know, with, and I don't live with my parents. So I have missed that in knowing that, man, God wants to use my family. And, and normally it, it seems like when God begins to use people, he chooses to move through a household. And so I would just encourage anybody who is, who is young and maybe a part of a family that is that is not following Jesus or not doing the same things they're doing to begin to pray and fast for their own family, that God would use them in a powerful way. Is there a book or a resource that you'd recommend for our listeners? There is for sure. I think a book that really revolutionized the way that I think is by Roland Allen and it's called Missionary Methods. And it just pulls apart the work of Paul and what he did. And man, absolutely just speaks to affirming Man, we like we can be kind of like some of our heroes in the scriptures in the way that we step out and make disciples. Oh, that, that's good stuff. 
Now, as we're recording this, I know that you're on your way on a mission trip, but it's going to be a few weeks before this is published. How can we best pray for you on an ongoing basis? Mm. Yeah, I think one thing for me is, is, is clarity and direction, just to know where exactly I'm supposed to plant my feet and really run after this. So I've got an opportunity to transition coming up in the fall as I, as I finish a lot with school and finish up uh, the internship I'm at. And I, as opportunities come up, I want to do nothing but hear from God and know exactly where he wants me to be. So, and I think that comes with me just kind of pulling away and listening to him. But any prayer that I could just maintain that focus on him and listening to the Holy Spirit and what he wants to show me, I would just be really grateful for. All right. And then turning the tables, if you could challenge us to do just one thing in the next seven days, what would that be and why? Yeah, I would challenge, I would challenge every listener right now to share the gospel with the person that you've been afraid to share with. You know, I know for me, even as I'm praying for people, somebody, there's always somebody who I am hesitant to pray for, or or even if I'm praying for them, I'm hesitant to share with them. And I found that the times when I've stepped out and obeyed in that way, those are often the people that God has prepared to hear. And as the enemy has been speaking lies in one ear, God is whispering, you know, quietly in the other ear, promising that he'll work. And so, yeah, share the gospel with the person that you're afraid to share with. Good stuff. And for those of you listening, we will make sure that we have all of the resources and everything linked up in the show notes at engagingmissions.com slash Rick Priato. Now, Rick, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Brian, it's been an honor to be on the show, and thanks so much. Oh, it's totally my privilege. We've been hearing about what God did in Rick's life as he spent some time in Asia and then what God's been doing. Now we're shifting our focus to Brian Hogan as he's reading from his book, There's a Sheep in My Bathtub. If you've been with us for a while, you know that his family has run into a pretty significant roadblock as they're preparing to enter Mongolia. They've had a few what seem like setbacks. And when we last left Brian, his wife was praying for him. He had spent a little bit of time in worship, and he and a lot of other people were pacing around, waiting to get some time with a diplomat. Then he felt led to go place a call, and he was going to be let in. Now we're joining him to find out what happens next. I marched across the courtyard, conscious of the envious stairs following me in, and entered the building. After hanging up my coat, I found myself in an elegant sitting room with two French diplomats and an American petrochemical executive. It turned out they were more comfortably engaged in the same thing the people outside were doing, waiting for the possible appearance of the ambassador. They had been informed when and if the staff could rouse him, we might be able to see him. To marshal more prayer, I called Louise at the hotel, filled her in, and then waited. I absolutely love Brian's response here. He's now in a room, engaged in waiting again, and it still seems like there might not be a whole lot of hope that he and his family are going to be able to do what God has called them to do. So he does what comes naturally. He calls his wife and they begin to pray. And that's just a great reminder for me and for us that there is power in prayer. And when we don't know what to do, maybe our first response should be prayer and worship. However, he's still not gotten in to see this diplomat. So the question becomes, what's going to happen next? We'll come back next week, and we're going to find out what happens as Louise begins praying and as Brian is continuing to wait to get in to see a diplomat so he and his family can get to Mongolia.
We've heard from Rick about his story and how God's worked in his life. We've also been hearing from Brian Hogan as he's been sharing what's been going on in his life as his family was preparing to enter Mongolia. But what about you? What about your interactions with your neighbors and how you can share the gospel with them and how you can begin to identify God's story in your life? If your neighbors are Muslim, perhaps you're struggling to understand what they believe and maybe you've been put in a place of fear with all the stuff on the media, all that stuff. I don't want to discount the reality of things, but at the same time, we are called to love and to make a difference. And part of what we need to do is to try to understand. Today, I'm going to be sharing a little bit about what Muslims believe about the book's of Allah, and I'm using Allah in the generic sense where they would understand that to be God. I am pulling from resources made available by Global Initiative. These are resources that they've made available absolutely free, and I am in the middle of a fundraiser to help raise money for them. I'm believing God for $4,000 to help fund their ministry as they make resources available for the global body of Christ to share the love of God with Muslims. Now, Muslims believe that Allah gave 104 sacred books to mankind. He gave 100 of these to Adam, Seth, and Enoch, and several others, but those have been lost. The four remaining that they believe in are the books of Moses, the Psalms of David, and the Gospels of Christ, and then the Quran, which they believe Allah gave to Muhammad. And it's critical that we understand, that we realize that they claim that all of these books, except for the Quran, have in some way been altered and that the Quran then makes corrections to these. They're, they're using this to justify the, the statements that the Quran differs from the Bible. And they say that it corrects these mistakes because we, and I'm quoting here, we also sent our prophets to peoples before thee, and we sent down the books to thee to exp- for the express purpose that thou shouldst make clear to them those things in which they differ. This is from the Quran, uh, Surah 16. Now, why is this important? It's important because we need to realize that when we start talking about God and the books that we believe in, that there is some overlap, but they don't necessarily believe the same thing. And this can lead then to the question, what should we do about that? If we can't argue them into the faith using the Bible, then what are we left with? And I would submit to you that first off, there's probably no single answer. But if there was any one answer, it would be prayer and then following the leading of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit reminds you of the scriptures, as the Holy Spirit captures their hearts, and as the Holy Spirit reveals Christ to them. Because scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit's job is to draw people to Christ, to remind us of what he's taught us, to convict the world of sin and also of righteousness. And we can trust God to do his job. So let's do our best to understand, to share God's love, and then to trust God to do what he does, to draw people to Christ and to lead them to the Father. If you'd like to find out more information about Global Initiative or the fundraiser that we have underway for them right now, visit engagingmissions.com slash fund16. They'll have some links there, also a way that you can participate in this fundraiser if you'd like to do that. That's engagingmissions.com slash fund16. Thanks to Rick Priado for being with us, Brian Hogan for making his book available, and also Global Initiative for making their resources available for free as well. 
Show notes are available at engagingmissions.com slash Rick Priato. That's R-I-C-K-P-R-E-A-T-O. That's the best way for you to connect with our guest and find all of the valuable links and resources that we talked about. Make sure that you come back next week when we're going to be hearing from Luana Harris about how what her grandmother did when she was a child has helped shape the ministry that she has now where she's working with orphanages and things like that in Haiti. It's really exciting stuff. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe to make sure that you don't miss that episode. And if you found this episode valuable, please help us spread the word. You might be the person God uses to make a connection, deepen a relationship, or provide valuable resources as you sow into his kingdom. Thanks for listening to the Engaging Mission Show. You can find more great content like this along with show notes by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.